Don't forget our sound guy back there, right? Don doing such an awesome job. And Ruben back there doing the computers. And James learning. That's good stuff, right? Good stuff. Hey, I just, uh, real quick, just um, a thought that just kind of came across my heart um, during that moment where Celeste was just feeling God leading her to come up and, uh, and, and pray, um, you know, and just have people come forward during that moment of worship to be prayed for. Uh, I just want to keep encouraging you guys in those moments. Um, I know those are newer moments for us, and they're ones that sometimes are hard to step into. And I just felt like, you know, I, I felt like God was just kind of saying to me in that moment that, um, it, it was fun to see, and I had my eyes closed, and I was crying half of it, so I don't really know what happened. Um, but I think, I think Dom was the only one. I don't mean to isolate him, but I think Dom was the only one that came up. And, and it was just fun because it was just this thing that God spoke to me and just said, how cool is it that in a room full of people, in the midst of a ton of things going on in people's lives, all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of things in people's minds, an incredible worship moment, and, 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 and emotions are high, and, and God's just moving. How cool is it that God planned and created a moment just for Don, right? And that's just who our God is, is that he's so loving and he's so kind that, that he will stop all things and that he will do everything he can just to express his love to you. That God, when, when he is, when your eyes are on him and when you're looking to him, that God is, is willing, ready, and able to meet you exactly where you are because he's already there. And it's just such a fun moment just to think about that. And it was just also too, as same as that thought is, it was just as much as that, that I'm willing to stop all of that and I'm willing to do all of this just for Don. That just as much as it was for Don, and just as freely as he could step into that moment, those are moments that you and I can freely step into God's presence. Those are moments that you and I can step into community. Those are moments that you and I can step in and say, God, I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna call out to you. James chapter five is very clear when it says, hey, if you're happy and everything is going well, then praise God, sing praises. If you're sick, then go to the elders and they will anoint you with oil and such a prayer will make you whole. In that moment, when we come to God and we seek him, that we're calling out to him, we're recognizing, we're saying, God, I'm desperate for you. And I look at my circumstance and I look at my situation and I need you and there's nothing else I could want or have in this moment other than you intervening. And, and, and I just want you to, to know as a church, God's gonna keep creating and increasing those moments so that we can step into them because God wants to work in your life. God wants to reveal. God wants to do the miraculous. God wants to shake things up a little bit. He doesn't want you just to exist or sit where you are. God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to speak. God wants to protect. God wants to love you. So don't hold back. Step into those moments because God is creating them just for you. It's an invitation, right? Man, that wasn't even a note. That was good stuff. That was extra. That's good. I'm not even going to take up another offering or anything. That's awful. That's awful. Hey, so we've been in our good news series, and we have been uh, walking through this for a few weeks, and we're going to walk through this for several uh, more weeks. This series is one we're going to carry all the way up until 
Mother's Day. And so excited about this. Just going to be talking about um, just several things um, throughout this. We've had uh, several moments uh, already. I think this is our fourth week um, that we've been in this sermon series. We've been reading out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. The last few weeks, I haven't read it. I've just paraphrased it, so I'm going to read it this week um, so that you know that I know where it's at in the Bible and that we can all remember that it's true. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our first week, we talked about the fact that God has a plan. From eternity's past, from the beginning of time, God knew what was going to happen. God knew all that was going to set out. And from the very beginning of time, God knew not only what was going to happen, but what he was going to do. God knew and saw the good, the bad, the ugly, and he saw the victory in Jesus throughout the whole thing. God has always had a plan. He's not been surprised by anything. When Adam and Eve stepped into the moment in the garden and they ate the fruit, God wasn't like, oh shoot, didn't plan for that. He knew, right? God has planned all of these things out. He's working all of these things out. God, even to make that moment bigger that I was just talking about with Don, even to make that moment bigger, God knew and planned for you and I to be here tonight so that he could speak to us, that eternity's past. God is at work and he's working out his plans. He's working out all that he's doing. And that is encouraging for us to see and to know because sometimes we can feel like, especially as followers of Christ, especially as people, maybe even as unbelievers or somebody who doubts God's existence, we can easily fall into a place of thinking that God is hiding his plans, that God's elusive, that God's not really caring about what's going on, but it's encouraging for us to see that God has a plan and that he's working it out. And that he's working it out through his church, which is you and I. He's making it known through the church. That's why we talk about it all the time. It's important to find a church. We say it here at City Life all the time. If this is your first night here, I want you to hear it for the first time from us. If you're looking for a church home, it's the most important thing you can do in your walk with Christ, to find a place where you fit and God has called you to be, where you can use your gifts and you can feel like God has you in that place to encourage you and that you can encourage others. The church is central to the plans of God. And all of our works and all of the things that God is doing in the church and through the church is so that you and I can see who Jesus is, all that Jesus has done, and all that Jesus is going to do. He's working his plans out. He's working things out. And this scripture shows us and it points us to the fact that God has a plan, that he's not hiding it from us, that he wants us to know it, that he's giving us an opportunity, he's giving us a community to come together in to discover that plan, to see that plan, to be a part of it. And we see his plan and we understand his plan as we do life together, as we worship together, as we experience life circumstances together, as we experience God's goodness together. God is working all these things out. He's revealing his plan to us. He's showing us all the things that he's doing. And so why we should be in a part of a church is not just because it's something that helps us to get to heaven because it doesn't. You shouldn't be a part of a church because it makes you a better person or makes you good or not good. Please don't go to church so that one day you can run for political office and say that you go to church, 
right? Like, that's not the reason that we go to church. The reason we go to church, none of you laughed at my little political jab, so I was just kind of, it's okay to laugh in church, right? I'll just say that, all right? But so, like, we come to church because you have issues, and I have issues, and we all have issues, and God's working these things out. Our issues, they're intertwined, they're connected, and so is the solution to all of our problems, all of our issues, and all of our concerns. It's Jesus. He's the solution to everything, and when he brings us together, and when he's helping us to see what he's doing and helping us to see that he's worked everything out through Jesus Christ. He helps us to, to see that God is in control and that his plan is effective. He's helping us to see beyond our circumstances. He helps us to see beyond the things that we're doing or things we haven't done. He's bringing us together. He's working things out through his church and it's not something that's beautiful. It's not something in the sense that it's just like, wow, the church has got their stuff together because we could all say, right, the church doesn't have their stuff together right? But it's because it's got people in it, right? Right? I mean, you look across the aisle, look at your neighbor, and like, yeah, that's why it's not perfect yet, right? Because they're there, right? And so, like, I mean, it's not perfect, but the church is beautiful because God loves the church, and the church is central to his purpose. Jesus came and gave his life so that the church could be birthed, so that through the church that the world could see the glory and the goodness of who God is, our coming together, our being a part of the church, our going out into the world as the church, our living our lives for the glory of God is God's plan. And it all came together through Jesus Christ. And we look at this and we, we, we see this and we're encouraged by it and we're filled with hope and we, we're filled with this, an expectation that God is doing something and we see God speaking to us and showing us all that he's doing through his word. And so we took time last week to go through a little bit about the importance of God's word and, and I made this statement last week and so we're gonna go a little bit deeper into this statement this week but I made the statement and said this is that we believe that the Bible is God's word spoken to us. And we believe what God has said in the Bible is infallibly and inerrantly true. What those words mean is what we're going to talk about a little bit here now. We're going to talk about God's word and how his word is a map for us to follow to the destination that he has for us. And last week, I wanted to make it clear that the Bible is not a life map for us. The Bible is not a map for us to walk and to follow for our success and for us to be able to get earthly things. The Bible, the destination that it's leading us to and the place that it's taking us to is to Jesus. To see his power, to see who he is, and to see all that he's doing and all that he's going to do. When you look at scripture all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelations, you see God's plan being worked out and you see God declaring that through Christ all things have been completed as it says here in Ephesians. So we're going to pray and then we're going to kind of talk a little bit about the Bible and our beliefs in it. Father, we pray, Lord, that as we step into this moment to look at your word, the truth of your word, what it points to, what it calls us to live for, how it calls us to live. Father, we just pray as we take time to talk about your word tonight and to look into your word, 
We pray, Lord, that you give us direction, that your Holy Spirit will speak, that you will give clarity. And Father, we just thank you uh, for helping us in that. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Have you, I don't know about you, but this happens to me often, unfortunately, but have you ever been getting ready to walk out the door, you're going to church, or maybe you're going on a date with your spouse, or you're going on a first date, and your roommate, or your spouse, or somebody that you love, they look at you and they say, you're going to wear that? Have you ever had that moment, right, all right? Yeah, all right, James is like all the time, right? <laughs> he had his hand super high right there and I just called him out, that's awesome. But so like, you know, like, if, if, if so I'm just a little shocked at, how many of you, I'm gonna see that again, how many of you had that moment? All right, how many of you never had that moment? All right, good, all right. So I'm gonna say, some of us in here, we know what we're talking about, some of you, you need to get better people in your life, all right? You need to get better people in your life because I saw what some of you were wearing and somebody should, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So, like, there's that moment, right, that, like, somebody says something to you, it's like, hey, you're going to wear that? And, like, what is our response? Like, our response isn't like, hey, thanks so much for saving me embarrassment. I really appreciate that. Our response is, is like, yeah, and who are you to tell me, right? Like, what, you know, like, we get a little bit offended, right? We get a little bit by, like, what in the world are you doing? Like, who do you think you are to tell me I shouldn't wear this or whatever else? Like, we get offended, like, when those moments happen. I know for me recently, um, I was, you know, I got home from work and uh, I walked in the door and I hugged the kids. We got a little bit of a routine, you know, so I hugged the kids. We did our stuff. I set my stuff down. And, and uh, because of the awesome traffic on 64, I drive from Newport News. And, 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 and so I got there a little bit later than I normally do. And so I jumped right into to cooking dinner. I cook dinner a lot and I clean in the house a lot. Guys, you should do that, right? Ladies, you should wait for a guy that does that. If you're not married yet, just saying, guys, if you don't do that, you can learn. It's a good thing, all right? does a lot for your marriage, just saying, all right? So anyways, and if you never had anybody call you out for your clothes, you're just like, dude, who do you think you are? So now you know what I'm talking about, right? So anyway, so I'm getting ready to clean, or I'm getting ready to cook dinner, and I'm in the middle of it, and, and, and we're actually, I think we're having tacos that night, which I love tacos. Come on, anybody with me, right? Tacos and spaghetti, those are regulars at our home, I'm telling you. <sighs> anyway, so I'm making tacos, and we're cooking or whatever else, and we started talking, the kids are off, and we started talking. And, and, and my attitude wasn't the best, I'll just admit that. And so I was just kind of whatever. And so like Michelle, being the amazing, loving, incredible wife that she is, person of character, the godly influence that she is, she started calling me out for my character issues, right? And she's not doing it abruptly, but she's just gently just saying, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, she's, and I like got just mad. You know what I'm talking about? Like just, I don't know if you ever had one of those moments, you know, where does somebody or somebody you know, not you, right? But somebody you know, they're just like, you just all of a sudden just unreasonably, you're just like, ah! you just like throw whatever's in your hand and you're just like, like volcano, right? You know what I'm talking about, you know? And so like, I just had one of those moments and, and you know, I was just sitting there and I'm just like inside, I'm like, why am I acting like this? Like, this is not me, you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever seen that movie Inside Out? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, like if you haven't seen that movie, I'm, I don't want to ruin anything. It's awesome. You should see it. But I really felt like there was a little dude that had a, you know, head that popped off and flame shot out. Like, he was just, like, in control and beating the board right now. And I'm like, I'm not in control, right? Like, what is going on right now? The, the truth of the matter is, is that Michelle, she was pointing something out on the inside that I knew was an issue. I knew it was something that should be dealt with. I knew it was something that was not right in my life. But I was not ready for it to be acknowledged, especially 
by somebody else. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't looking for that to happen. And I know like so many times that can happen in your life and it can happen in my life. And the truth of the matter is, is that we really don't like seeing things that reveal who we really are. We don't really like seeing the things that show us what we're really doing and why we're doing those things. We don't enjoy those moments. I know even recently, it wasn't even just a person, like the other day, like not too far, like Christmas, right? I, I got some money to buy some clothes, and, and when you've got two kids, and you're a pastor, you don't get to buy clothes a lot, and so we had money, and so I was ready to go buy clothes, and I'm putting the clothes on, and I swear to you, somebody's playing a joke on me, right? Like, every store I went to, the mirrors just made me look fat, right? I don't know what the deal was, and I was like, I used to be able to wear that size, and now I can't. Something's wrong with that mirror, right? It's not me. You know, like, I was getting mad and frustrated, like, I can't buy any of these clothes, man. I just, I can't figure it out with these mirrors, you know, and I'm getting all like worked out instead of just being like, no, dude, you need to stop eating Taco Bell at 11 o'clock at night. That's what you need to stop doing, you know, like we don't like having things pointed out. We don't like seeing something in front of us that says you've got to deal with that. We don't like saying like to ourselves or having somebody speak to us and say, hey, you're off a little bit there. We don't like that. And unfortunately, that's what this is. So just as much as we don't like mirrors at Sun that make you look extra wide, just as much as you don't like a spouse saying, hey, you shouldn't be wearing that, or hey, you need to deal with this character issue, just as much as we don't like any of those things, it's tough sometimes to open God's word because his word is a spiritual mirror that reveals to us what's on the inside, what's really going on, what we should deal with, what we're really thinking about, what we really want. And when we open this thing up, it shows us what we don't want to see. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's a mirror. So tonight, I just wanted to, real quick, I'm, I, got, I got something I want to share. I, I'm going to go through, I want to share some facts with you. I like facts. I like, you know, all that fun stuff, and I can get a little too deep and lose people. So just track with me on a second here, because this is pretty fun. But why should we, what, what authority does the Bible have to speak to my life? Why is it a mirror that reflects who I am, and why should I trust it? What's the proof of the Bible? In our culture, we're getting more and more into a place where people, even denominations and different places are saying that the Bible may or may not be God's word. We hold true to the fact that this is God's word spoken to us, that it is true, and that it is something that God has given us to point us to the things that he's doing and point us to his work, which is the work that Jesus did on the cross and that Jesus did in his resurrection and ascension and the fact that Jesus will come back again. This whole thing is pointing us to the answer and the person who God is making us to be. That's what this whole thing is. And, and we struggle with it. And I think that we struggle with it sometimes not because of, not because of details and some other things that we're going to get to here in a second. I, th I think there's a deep reason why we struggle with it. 
I'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. So how do we know the Bible is real? This is pretty fascinating when you stop and you actually think about it, all right? So the Bible, the origin of the Bible, it was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, in 13 different countries on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Even though the Bible was written by multiple people from all walks of life over a period of 1,500 years, in spite of all of that, it has amazing accuracy of who God is, the character of God, and the consistency of the story of what God has been doing in the world. In the 50s, an individual came up with a test to test the authenticity of historical writings. There's an internal test. In the internal test, it says, do the writers claim that the writings are true? We can see in 2 Peter, we can see in 1 John, we can see in multiple other things that they claim that the word of God is true. The Bible, the New Testament, was written anywhere between 47 AD and 95 AD, whatever you want to pick and choose and lean towards or whatever you want to fall into. I land a little bit more closer on the 47 AD spectrum of things, but that's where it was written. That means that this was written, that the New Testament was being spread around when people who saw Jesus die were still alive. So there are eyewitness accounts that could have refuted at any point the claims that were being made, but yet this grew rapidly through the world. Even though there was many who could have claimed and refuted it, there was still an incredible growth and acceptance of this as truth in many people around the world. An external test. What does the outside evidence say? The history of Jesus and him being a man that lived on this earth and died on this earth is extremely well established through Roman and Greek writings and other historical writings. Josephus is one that many accept as, an, as, a, as a, 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 a massive person who speaks to uh, history and the, the accuracy of what he wrote. He references the life of Jesus very often. Archaeology, there's all kinds of things in archaeology that are more and more as we dig deeper into the earth. Literally, we're finding things that actually verify the statements of the Bible. Uh, one guy, uh, Nelson Gluick, I don't know how to, if that's how you really pronounce his name, but Nelson Gluick, he said that it may be stated categorically that there is not an archaeological discovery that has ever refuted the Bible. Then you got the bibliographic test. How well are their original documents translated into today's language? If you go through and look at this, we've got the Masoretic text, we've got the Dead Sea Scrolls, we've got other uh, uh, scrolls that are out there. When you look at this, just as a comparison, Homer's Iliad is a very accepted book that was written by Homer. It was one that was his book and that people accept as authentic to that period of time and the things that it dealt with and all of that stuff. There are 643 different manuscripts that they can go off of to say this is what it says that it is and where it came from. 643. The Bible has 5,600 up to, depending on some different things that we can look at, up to 24,000 different manuscripts that we can go on. And from all of them, the accuracy is stunning in the comparison. So you go through and you apply this test and you look at it and you say, wow, this thing really holds up to the scrutiny of life. This thing really holds up to the scrutiny of history of saying that it says what it is and that it really is that. 
You can look at the prophecies that are there. This is one of the fascinating, most interesting things to me. There was a professor who had a, a class. Um, his name is Peter Stoner, which is just really funny to me. But anyways, Professor Stoner. <clears throat> That's what some people study in college. So anyways, so he had 12 different classes and he had 600 students. And so they did this study and they looked into some things and they said, what is the likelihood of these they just went through and they picked eight different prophecies happening to one person in their lifetime. What, what's the likelihood that these eight prophecies can happen in one person's lifetime to that person? Accurately described in detail thousands of years before their life and they actually became a reality through this person's life. What's the likelihood that eight of them, you tracking with me? Eight. What's the likelihood? It's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. That's a big number, right? Right? That's bigger than the Powerball was a couple months ago, right? Like, that's a big, big number. Here's the way to look at it. If you took a silver dollar and you put an X on it, all right? Took a silver dollar and you put an X on it and you dropped it in Texas anywhere, okay? Dropped it in Texas anywhere. Then you dump two feet of silver dollars over the whole state. You blindfold one guy, let him walk around, and when he is ready and he feels like that he's standing on top of the silver dollar with the X on it, he reaches down one time and grabs it. It's the same likelihood. Right? That's amazing. When you go through and you look at what Scripture says and speaks of who God is and speaks of what God's plan is and what he's doing in the world. When you look at it and you take the measurements that we have to evaluate the truth and the validity of Scripture and it holds up. When we go through and we look at all of the resources that we have in our human just spectrum of things to look at it and say, is this thing true? Is this thing, it, does it have authority to speak into my life? It's a resounding yes everywhere that you look. The Bible is God's spoken word to us, and it is truth, and it is speaking to us, and it's revealing to us the things that God wants us to do. And it's the things that God wants us to see, and it's the things that God is doing and is going to do in this world. That's what his word is, and he wants us to see it. He wants our eyes to be opened up. All of Scripture... Scripture is something that helps us to see, not what we should and shouldn't do, though it helps us with that. Scripture is to help us to see who God is, how powerful he is, how majestic he is, to see the glory and the power of his name, and to stand in awe of him and to see that he's at work, he's always been at work, and that he's going to accomplish everything that he said to do. His word is to help us to see him, to look at him. But we have issues and we don't want the, be, the Bible to be true because it shows us what we don't want to see. It shows us all through scripture that God is God and we're not. It speaks to us and it, it, it points out and it shows us in the moments that we don't want it to. You're removing me from my throne and your heart and you're putting yourself there. You're putting your spouse there. You're putting your children there. You're putting your career there. You're making something else other than me, God. And when we go through and we look at scripture, we begin to see the things that in ourselves that we don't want to change or that we don't want to deal with or that are too painful to change or they're too hard for us to change. And when we look at scripture, we see that God is doing something else other than what we want to do. 
And it's hard for us to accept that because if his word is true and if God says what he says and he's calling us to live the life that he's calling us to live and he's calling us to do it through Christ, then that means what he says goes. My feelings, my opinions, my preferences, my desires, all of those things could be and should be changed to get in line to who God is and what he's wanting me to do. And that's a, ta- that's a challenging thing. That's a difficult thing to see and it's a difficult thing to hear. And we get through in our culture, a lot of people are getting to a place where we're saying, hey, you know what? The Bible's an ancient document that we really shouldn't listen to. I mean, if you let the Bible speak to you and direct you and guide you, I mean, you're kind of like a lesser human. You definitely have no like intellect that's worth talking to, you know? And, and, and so a lot of people are, are looking at scripture that way. And they say, you know what? If, 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 if recently a very famous former pastor who is now doing TV stuff, he said, uh, he, he just recently said in an interview, he's like, listen, the church is gonna actually start being better in the world when it stops listening to the Bible as an authority in its life. Like, the culture is getting to a place where this thing, we, we should stop listening to it, we should stop looking to it, we should stop allowing it to be an authoritative voice in our lives because We don't want to see what it's showing us. We don't want to accept what it's speaking, what it's saying we should stop doing and how we should change. It's pointing to and showing us that God is God and we're not and we struggle with that. The world struggles with that. I just want to say, I don't think the world's going to get better and better the further we get away from accepting Scripture as authority in our lives. In fact, if you look at our culture nowadays, we've gotten further and further away from accepting this as any kind of voice in our culture's life. And I wouldn't say that our culture's gotten better. I wouldn't say that our culture's uh, loving people better. I wouldn't say that our culture's more accepting. I wouldn't say that our culture's more prosperous. I would say that there's actually a huge part of our culture that is falling apart. And, and, and it's funny to me that we say, man, this thing breeds hate, it breeds war, it breeds all of those things, but it seems like we accept those things anyways. It seems like we embrace hate and war and, and, and intolerance and, and bigotry anyways. It seems like that's kind of where we are. So maybe it's not that there's an issue with the Bible, maybe there's an issue with us. Because if you look at it, Adam and Eve, right, They were like smack dab in the perfect center of God's will for humanity. I mean, they were smack dab in the middle of it, experiencing all the goodness and the pleasures of God. I mean, they had perfect food. They had perfect jobs. They had perfect spouses, right? I mean, everything was great. Everything was perfect. And the second they stepped outside of God's will and no longer accepted his voice as an authority in their life, it's been downhill since. I mean, you're talking a few years outside of that and you got people killing each other. We've got lies. We've got all kinds of things. We've got a society breeding into such wickedness that God says, whoa, (laughs) let's just take them all out. Right? Like, I mean, that's what happens when we step out of his word, being an authority that is speaking into our lives. 
We've got to get back into a place of accepting that God has a plan, that he's working things out, that he's speaking to us, that he's directing us, that he's calling to us, that he says, listen, I want you to see as I speak to you that I'm a holy God. And because I'm holy, I demand for you to be holy. And we have to accept and to admit that our heart, that our inclinations, that our desires is to do anything other than what God wants us to do. We want to accept anything else other than the authority of God. That is our inclination. That's our bend. That's what we do. Since Adam and Eve, we've accepted anything to be God other than God. But God's word is clear, and he said from the very beginning, listen, if you accept me and if you accept my word, I will bless you. I will be with you. I will show you life. You will know goodness. You will have nothing to worry about. All of his scripture... There are so many things that people try to point at as contradictions in God's word. When you stop and look at them, they're not necessarily contradictions. A lot of times it's just people are unwilling to accept the truth of what they're saying or they're unwilling to do the work to dive in to see how it's speaking to the truth of what God's doing. This thing is a comprehensive declaration of God's love being redeeming mankind throughout all of time. That's what this is. And God's speaking to us and he's saying, listen, I want you to see and know that I love you and that I have a plan for you. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32, not the verse you thought I was going to go to, is it? Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32. I think one person got that, maybe. Nobody got it. This covenant, he's talking to the Israelites and he's talking to us. The Israelites have been in captivity and he's speaking to them. He's saying, listen, I'm going to bring you back and things are going to be totally different. I'm going to do something new and I'm going to do something wonderful. He says, the covenant that I'm going to make with you is not going to be like the one I made with your ancestors. When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant, though I love them as husband loves his wife. See, the, all, the old law, it could be broken because it didn't change our hearts. The ceremonial law that was put out and that was declared by God to do this and don't do that and stand this way and wear this and do all of these things and kill this goat and break this dove's neck and rip this bird open and all of those crazy things that are in there. All of the ceremonial law that was given, it was for us to obtain righteousness, but it was a failed attempt because it was just human effort. And it never changed our hearts. At most, it was something that we just did out of duty. It's something that we just, I have to do it because this is what God's demanded. But on the inside of us, and the truth of his word that's still there, the moral law, which was written on Adam's heart, which Adam rejected, that moral law, you know, like this stuff, you know, just the average stuff, you know, like don't kill somebody. Don't take your neighbor's car or sleep with their wives. You know, that stuff, you know, like the moral law. Like those things are all still there. And those are the standards to which God wants us to live. And he looked at us and he says, they're not able to do it on their own. They're not able to make these things. They can't be righteous on their own. It's going to fail every single time. And so he says, listen, I'm going to do something different. It's not going to be like I did before. In verse 33, he says this, but it's a new covenant. And I will make the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put instructions deep within them. And I will write on in them, I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
He's like, listen, it's not going to be about your efforts and it's not going to be about the things that you try to do or the ways that you can earn things. I'm not going to try to change you by your efforts. I have to go in and I have to change your heart. I have to do something eternal. I have to do something internal inside of you to change who you are. The worship team comes up and we close. We see that Christianity reveals not a new law, not a new way of doing things, but Christianity reveals a new power. A new power to the old law that becomes this inner force that changes who we are. Tonight, I want you to see and I want you to hear that God's word is a mirror. It shows us where we fall and accepting God is God where we fail, where we come short. Because God has a plan, and he's working his plan out. And as much as we believe and as much as we know that God is a God of love, he's a God of endless love. I mean, come on. It says that God is love. His love is so deep. His love is so rich. His love is so powerful. His love is so eternal. His love is so perfect between Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's so perfect that His love birthed our reality. He is love. But just as much as He is love, He's a holy God. And He's a just God. And He demands for us to live on His terms. God is creator, and as his creation, we are to cement. We are to say, you are Lord. His word is a mirror. His word is a path. His word is a guide that brings us to the feet of Jesus so that we can be in awe of his glory and his power. To look and to say, I can't do this thing on my own, but you've made a way through Jesus. And when I come to Jesus and I have faith in Him, He doesn't just give me a new set of rules. He gives me a whole new life. When I come to Jesus, He doesn't just say, great, there's one check, you got a thousand more to go. He says, here, here's everything. It's new, it's you. I'm gonna make you new now and I'm gonna continue to make you new. Everything that is promised in me, it's yours. You're no longer distant from God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're chosen of God. You no longer have to wonder if God is in your life and in your circumstances. God is there. In fact, you can walk boldly into his presence and you can call him Father and you can say, God, this is what I need. God, here's where I'm at. God, direct me. God, lead me. God, give me hope. Give me joy. I'm broken. Fill me with love. Fill me with peace. We can come to him because he's our Father, because of what Jesus did on the cross, He makes everything new. And not only does He make you new, but He makes you who He wants you to be. Get this, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart. A new spirit will be put in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Listen, 
outside of God and outside of Him speaking in our lives, our hearts, they're not even human. They're stoning. They're rejecting God. They're absolutely outside of what God intended them to be. They're not the reality of who He wants them to be. And the longer we reject Him, the further we walk away from Him, we're becoming less and less who God wants us to be. I would even say we're becoming less and less human. And when you come to Christ, He wants to make things new. He wants to put in you a heart of flesh, one that is tender, sensitive, one that is aware, one that sees who God is and all that God's doing, one that feels his love and can embrace their father, one that says, I hear you speaking, I want to go, one that says, I see you calling, that's where I'm going to go, one that says, that's what you want me to do, God, I'm there. He makes you a new person and he calls you and gives you the strength and the power to be person he wants you to be that reflects his glory his honor his power that doesn't point to you but you become a life that points to him here's the good news the good news is is that you and I on our own we can never make our way to God so he made a way for us through Jesus Christ and in him we have and we experience life abundant love endless and have the confidence of eternity sure to us so tonight you can close your heads bow your eyes I'm just going to take one second tonight I know I called the worship team up a little too soon and they've been playing for a while love you guys but tonight listen if you look inside of your heart, if you look inside of your chest, if what you see is bitterness, if what you see is apathy, if what you see is hardness to the things of God, if what you see is rejection, if what you see is a stone, cold, heavy, burdened heart, There's nothing you can do and there's no answer you can find that will change that reality other than Jesus himself. If you have never called on him to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never called on him and said, Jesus, I need you and I need you to be my source of life and everything. If you've never had that moment, if you've never had that moment, and in that moment, sensed and knew everything to be different, I'm going to tell you this part of my story. I'm telling you, as a pastor's kid, I was at the altar and I prayed that prayer a thousand times and walked away the same every single time. But there was a night, January 17th, 1999, that I prayed that prayer and God changed me. My heart was different. And I'm telling you tonight, wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, you could have been in these seats for the past year, you could have been in church your entire life. If you've never encountered God and He never has changed you in an instant, changed you in a moment, not made you just perfect 
in a moment, but changed you where you knew that God invaded your life and you couldn't do anything other than live for Him. If you've never had that moment tonight, God wants to have that moment with you. God wants to invade your world. God wants to remove your stone cold heart and He wants to give you a heart of flesh and He wants you to help you to know that He's a God who is with you, a God who loves you, and a God who cares for you. Beyond that, He's a God who wants you to know that He's in control, that He's holy, and He's just, and He's good in everything that He does. And I'm just telling you, living this life, it's so awesome, and it's so much easier when you know that He's in control. So if tonight, if you say, God, I want to be, I want you to be in control, that's me, Pastor Jamie. Just lift up your hand. Nobody's looking. It's just you and I. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Is there anybody here tonight? You say, that's me, Pastor Jamie. I want him to be in control. I want the heart of flesh. I want to be sensitive to his word. I want to be sensitive to his life. I want to know that he's in control. Is there anybody in here tonight at all? Anybody else? Anybody else? Hey, listen. If you raise your hands, I want you to talk to me after service. But I want you to know this. Our God is faithful and our God is good. And all you have to do in a moment, we're going to stand as a church and we're going to sing. And if you are in that moment and you raised your hand or you know that you should have raised your hand, I just want you to stand and say, God, I call out to you. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. Change me. Make me new. It's all it takes to trust in him, to believe in him, to fix your brokenness and to reunite you, to make you new through Christ. That's all you got to do. So do it. And if you, you can all look at me now. You can all look at me now. I know I keep talking. I need to shut up. I'm going to. I promise in a minute. I got to have like six closings. That's what they teach us in Bible school. It's the only thing I learned. All right. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you say, hey, I didn't need to raise my hand. Listen, you, follower of Christ, you, disciple, you, child of God, he's given you a new heart. Open your eyes. Open your hearts. Open your spirits. God wants to speak. God wants to reveal. God is doing a work in you, and he wants to do a work through you. Open your eyes. Listen to his word. Come to his word. Not finding out and trying to do all these different things to earn his favor. You already have it. Live this life for his glory. Step out. Open the word and let it be one that speaks to you and directs your day. Trust him. Follow him. Listen to his spirit. He's an active God. He's a God who is with you. And he wants to do incredible things in your life and through your life. Not just for your good, but for his glory. Because he's invited you into his eternal plan. That should be something that's amazing. That should be something that's exciting. That should be something that causes each one of us to jump out of our seats and to sing a song of worship because he is a powerful, awesome God. Come on, church, stay with me and worship.